Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us, either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. As you have just heard, my name is Christopher Woods, and I have the honor of serving here as the student pastor. I kind of say I also have the privilege of this morning of sharing the stage with a lot of our students. Um, student Takeover Weekend, we have students leading worship, uh, we have students helping out in the sound booth, uh, behind the scenes, and in children's ministry this morning. So let's, let's show them our appreciation this morning to all of our students helping out. And we are a blessed church. Church, can I say that? Can you hear an amen in the house for that? The future is bright here. Well, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you and invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, this morning, as we finish our series, it was good. And as you're turning there, let me ask you all a quick question. Uh, I know this is going to be a hard one for a lot of us to uh, admit or not, but how many of us here own a cell phone? Like, let me actually raise your hand if you own a cell phone. All right. I see you guys all around there. Um, I have a cell phone, too. I know there's some kids around here who are saying, like, see, Mom, everyone owns, owns a cell phone. I need one, too. <laughs> your time will come. Um, but here's my cell phone right here. That's a picture of my daughter. She's eight months old, by the way. Yeah, you can say all. It's all right. It's okay. I like interacting with you guys. Um, oh, it went dark. There she is again. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, when I got this phone a few months ago, it was only a few months I've had this phone, I remember when I first got the box, I was excited. I got a brand new cell phone. I started unboxing it and opening it up, trying to get to the prize, which was inside. And I remember as I opened it up, I came across this little packet. And I know there's usually two types of people in this world. Uh, those of us, when we see a list of instructions, we look at it and say, you know, that looks really good in the garbage and throw it immediately away. <laughs> and there's some of us who look at it and who are like, you know what, I'm actually going to take the time to read it to understand this new product. Now, I, I admit, I'm the latter. I am very cautious when it comes to things. So when I was opening up my phone, I found this little packet which describes how to use the phone. It was actually not written by UPS. It wasn't given to me by FedEx or anyone who delivered it. It was actually written by the designer of the phone. In fact, if you can look closely, it actually says designed by Apple in California. Spoiler, I have an Apple phone. Um, and here's the crazy thing about this is that in this packet here, there's a list of things for me to do with my phone written by the designer of the phone themselves. It says, you know, don't leave your phone out in sunlight uh, because it will overheat. Uh, keep it charged because the battery will die if you don't keep it charged. It says, don't drop it from high heights and uh, don't put it on the bed next to your eight-month-old daughter who will throw it off the bed. <laughs> if you're curious, I broke off four of those this week. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing is when we don't live by those 
rules, the guidelines set aside by the designer of the phone, that is when I start having issues. I left it outside in the sun this past week and it overheated and I couldn't use my phone for a little while. I also forgot to charge it one night and so I turned it on and it actually didn't turn on. It was turned off. Um, I've also dropped my phone and my daughter has gotten a hold of it, which explains the cracks in the screen <laughs> and all those things. But the same goes with us as well. God, as our designer, has designed us to function a certain way. And when we step outside of that design is when we see brokenness. In the past few weeks, if you've been tracking with us, we've been talking about God's design in the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, which is foundational to our faith. We have seen that God has a perfect design for humanity, yet because of sin, our world is broken. And ultimately, our relationship with the world around us, our relationship with one another, uh, the relationship that we have, and ultimately understanding gender, as we talked about last week, and this morning, as we talk about our relationship with God and worship has all been marred because of sin. And so while the first three chapters of Genesis, we talk about life inside the garden, this morning together in Genesis chapter four, we're gonna talk about a new chapter, life outside the garden, a life that we're still living in today to the day that God calls us all home together. And we'll see here to, uh, this morning that the same thing that Satan fell from heaven from, the issue of pride, was the same tool that he used to take down Cain in Genesis chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to stand up with me as we read God's word together. Genesis chapter four, starting in verse one, we're gonna read through the majority of this chapter together, so follow along in your copy of God's word. Chapter four, verse one. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, he also brought of the first fruit, firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. It shall be a fugitive. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me, they will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And there Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Uh, when he built the city, he named the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And jump down to verse 21. Jabel's brother's name was Jubal. Uh, he was the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, who was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Adul and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for ruining me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And on the flip, side, of the flip side, we see that Adam then knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. He may be seated. As we have just read this morning together, that as what began and worship quickly dissolved into brokenness. And as we live in the world today, as most of us are walking into this room or listening online together, more acutely aware of the brokenness that lives in the world today, we can live in assurance that still yet in the very end, we still see God's people worshiping God together. So let's pray together. God, we pray that this, this morning as we study your word, that you will give us truths that will impact us today and throughout this week, that you will guide us in your design for worship, how we can better pursue you together as a church and as a community. And God, as we are reminded of the brokenness in the world today, we pray that you be with the families out in Texas and those who are hurting and have felt the devastation of sin's work, wreaking havoc in the lives of others. And for those who are here this morning and more acutely aware of Memorial Day weekend, that you will comfort those who have lost loved ones in the defense of this country, God. We pray that as we see the way of Cain evident in the lives of so many in this world today, that we will be people gathered together and worship you fully and completely. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So as we see here this morning, I want us to walk through this line here together. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you all to take this note down here that God's design for worship is greater than our pride and propagation of brokenness. Uh, we will see together in a passage this morning that God's design is greater than the things that can take us down. And ultimately, though brokenness is the reality that we face, we can be united on the front that God is still working things for his good despite the brokenness of sin in our lives today. As we'll see that the relationship Cain has with his brother directly impacts the relationship that he has with God. So where do we begin? No other than God's design for worship. The first few verses of chapter four. 
And I love what happens here in the very beginning is right after uh, Adam and Eve were eradicated from the garden, they were kicked out from the garden of Eden. The very first thing that we see in chapter four is that Eve, Adam and Eve still live out the divinely assigned role that God has given her. Despite the brokenness that they felt, they still leaned into what God's design was, however marred it was in the moment, to do what God has called them to do. You know, when things don't go our way, we shouldn't just pack up our bags and go home. Uh, we shouldn't be that kid who, when we take our ball to the basketball court to play with the other kids in our neighborhood, and we lose that first game, pick up our ball and go home and leave the other kids on the court to play by themselves without a ball. No, we don't do that. God still has a plan for us. And we see that here. And what was that role? The divine role to be fruitful and to multiply. As we were created in the image of God, here's some theology I want us to understand together this morning is the fact that only God can create. And as we are made in God's image, he's given us the opportunity for us to create as well. And as Adam and Eve got together, Cain and Abel was the produce of what God has designed for us to do, to be fruitful and to multiply. And here's a reality too. Only God can create. Satan can only break and distort. Satan can't create anything. The only thing he can try to do is break what God has already created. I think about it this way. A few uh, years ago, when I was living up in Gainesville, Florida, I had the opportunity to have lunch with a few other pastors with a guy by the name of Nick Ripken. Um, he is an author of The Insanity of God, and he has the opportunity of going around the world and working with different people who live in areas of persecution who try to share the gospel to those around them. And as I was sitting there at lunch, he gave us a, a trivia question, and which was hard for us to answer in the moment. He, he shared a story, which isn't far from the truth, where there's a group of people who live in a country where it's illegal to share and to know Christ. And he shared this, and he said, well, what would happen is sometimes people who seek to persecute followers of Christ will pose as followers of him. What they try to do is to make themselves look like they're interested in the gospel and what the church is going to do. Are they going to kick out everybody? No, they're trying to share the gospel. So if someone comes to them, they want to open up with open arms and bring them into the community. And so what they would do is they will pose as fake Christians for the purpose to find out where they're meeting. And when the time is right, they will bring in their, the army. They will bring in those persecutors and take down the church from the inside out. So the question is this. How do you know who is truly following Christ and those who are not? That's a big question. I'll be honest, I didn't have the answer. And he shared something that I'll never forget. He said, you look at the fruits of the spirit because Satan can't manufacture what only the spirit can produce. And I share that with you today, this morning, not just to brag that I had lunch with Nick Ripken, but to share with you the truth of this passage that only Satan, Satan can't create. He can only distort what God has already created. 
And we see what happens here is, what does that look like? Well, both Cain and Abel give an offering to God. Cain gives an offering from the fruit of the ground, but his brother Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. In this moment, God says, I have regard for what Abel brought me and not for what Cain brought me. So what is God saying? Is he saying that finally, forever, now to be known, steak is better than salad, so we just pack up our bags, go home, and eat at Fleming's this afternoon? <laughs> to God be the glory, amen? <laughs> as tempting as it is to eat Fleming's, it's not open right now. <laughs> no. What God was simply stating was this truth. The issue wasn't the nature of the gift, but the integrity of the giver. The heart of the issue, to put it another way, was the issue of the heart. And that's what God was trying to share with Cain in this moment. Hebrews 11.4 puts it this way, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable offering, acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, it was always an issue of the heart, not necessarily what was put on the altar. Because Cain was evidently indifferent about his offering, but Abel was careful about his. Cain only offered to God what was convenient for him, not the first fruits like his brother Abel brought, which was costly for him. To put it this way, just uh, earlier this month uh, was Mother's Day. And it was a special Mother's Day weekend uh, because my wife and I, we not only had the chance to celebrate our first official Mother's Day with our new daughter who was seven months old at the time, but it was also the same weekend as our five-year anniversary. It was a good time of celebration and what God has done in our lives. And so just imagine this now, just imagine, I didn't actually do this for the record, but imagine that same day, that Sunday, what I did is I drove home from church and on my way home, instead of thinking about this big plan that I had, I stopped at the Walgreens on the way to my house because it was conveniently located around the corner from where I live. And I go into Walgreens and I go and I grab a small little bouquet of flowers. You know, all the good ones are taken already because, you know, it's already Mother's Day. And I go and I grab her some chocolate. And, you know, I notice there's a deal here. You know, BOGO, hello, two for one. I'm like, two's better than one. So I grab the BOGO deal instead. So I grab the BOGO chocolate. It has the big stickers on there that say BOGO. And I grab the flowers and I take them home and I give it to my wife and say, happy Mother's Day and five-year anniversary. I mean, hypothetical than I had, or I didn't actually do that. But imagine if I did. You know, it doesn't actually show a deep desire of my heart. It's just, I just did something because it was my duty to do it, not because it was the desire of my heart to bless her with all that I had. In the same way, we see the story of Cain and Abel here. Cain only did what was convenient for him out of obligation of duty, the hopes to get something else out of it, instead of a deep, heartfelt desire which cost Abel to sacrifice. 
I think about it when I read through scripture, when we read through first fruits in Leviticus chapter 23, we see God actually prescribed to the people of Israel the festival of first fruits to make both a grain offering and burnt offering to the Lord, the first produce of the new harvest or the flock. And here's the crazy thing about it. And in this time, there was no Publix, there was no Walmart, there was no Aldi where the prices are cheap enough to keep me going, but not too cheap to make me worried. And so when the people of Israel gave their first fruits, it was all they had. Because that's what first fruits were. It wasn't to say like, hey, we have all this harvest and I'm gonna give you just this part of it. I'm gonna keep the rest to myself. The first fruit is exactly what it means. This is all they had in the moment, the very first fruit of the harvest. The other harvest has yet to come to. I'm gonna take the best of what I had and give it to God as if to say, God, this is my pledge or guarantee. It serves as a pledge or guarantee that the remainder of the harvest will be realized in the days that followed. In other words, it was saying that, God, I believe and trust in you to give me all that I need and I'm gonna give this to you as an offering, the pledge to say, God, I trust in you. Because here's the reality, as we see in Psalms 50, that because God doesn't need it to survive. In fact, you know what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he says in Psalms 50, verses seven through 11. God is the creator. He owns it all. First Samuel 15, 22, we see that again as when Saul makes an improper sacrifice to God, prophet Samuel comes to him and calls him out and says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. Once again, the prophet Micah says in chapter six, verses seven through eight, I'll read that with you guys here this morning. It says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil, a sacrifice? to him. He says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. God desires our heart. And like a mirror reflects my physical reflection, the offering that we bring to God reflects the heart attitude that we have on the inside. It's all about the heart and the person who is given in. Cain only offered what was convenient, a reflection of what was in his heart, a desire, uh, a life that was bound by duty, not so much desire to know and to make God known. So here's a question we gotta think about this morning, church. What are we offering to God now? Are we only offering things that are convenient to us to give to God? Are we content going through the religious motions without much genuine spiritual devotion? Are we guilty of simply giving God our leftovers? Are we giving God the best of what we have? Are we giving God the best of our mornings to pursue him in God's word? Are we just giving him the last few minutes at the end of the night to read God's word, to 
pray to him before we go to bed when it's convenient for us? Do we look at our calendar for the whole year and plan our vacations and say, all right, I'm going to spend seven days here, but because the Airbnb, you know, I can't get there for the full nine, 10 days. I'll spend the extra three days serving a VBS. Or do we look at our calendar and say, God, I see that VBS is coming up. I'm going to give my entire week to serve you, to reach the students here, these thousand plus kids who are going to be here on campus in just a week or two? Are we giving the best of what we have to God? Are we using it, what God has given us for ourselves and giving God the leftovers? Are we giving God the best of our time, talents, and treasures for him, for his glory? In other words, is pursuing God an excuse for everything else? I think about it this way, um, I'm not a good golfer. I'm gonna be upfront. If you live on the side of a golf course here in Naples or you're listening online, I'm sorry, but if a ball has hit your house, there's probably a chance it was probably me. <laughs> I'm the guy who buys the 30 pound bag of golf balls and I come back with two golf balls and like, you know, a broken cup and that's all I leave the golf course with. I'm, I'm just not good at it. Makes I'm left-handed, I learned differently. I don't know, it's just wrong for me to play golf, right? But it's a hobby for me, it's not a passion. As my hobby, if there's bad weather, and if I go up to the golf course and they say it's gonna cost me $120, I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, because it's just a hobby for me. But if it's a passion for me, if I was passionate about golf, even if the storm is coming, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna finish this hole. I'm gonna really round, good round of golf, you know? Lightning's not too far, it's only half a mile away. When he gets a quarter mile in, then I'm going to get off the golf course. Hear an amen, right? (laughs) And here's the thing, sometimes following God for so many of us is just a hobby. We do it when it's convenient for us instead of a passion that is costly for us. Because God's design for our relationship with him is to make, to know him and to make him known. God isn't as interested in the work of our hands as he is the object of the worship of our hearts. And when we read scripture, we read that there is children of God, but there's no such thing as grandchildren of God. Now hear it with me. We're not grandfathered into the faith. We must own the faith ourselves. And while we see Adam had a relationship with God, Cain didn't have that same relationship with God. Cain only knew God while Adam knew and worshiped God. A proper view of God will give us a proper use of our gifts, the very thing that Cain messed up. So where did he mess up? And the second thing we see in this passage is the danger of pride. That was God's design for worship. Where does the danger of pride come from? We see that in the next uh, dialogue that happens between God and Cain. God questioned Cain for the same purpose that he asked the man and woman in the garden, not to scold Cain, but to elicit Cain's admission of sin with the view of repentance. Like any good father, he comes and asks Cain what he did wrong to help him see where he went wrong and see if he will make the proper changes in his life. God gave Cain a choice to follow and if Cain did not master it, it, he would be its victim. And we'll see that Cain's head, while it was bloodied, it was still unbowed. 
We see that sin is crouching at the door, ready to pounce, waiting for the door to be opened. And we see this in a book that I was walking through with our seniors most recently, reading through it, A Different College Experience by Brian Mills and Ben Trueblood. We read this point. Today's choices either lead to future freedom or future baggage. God gives us a choice today, right now, this moment, and how we're going to pursue him. And the choices that we make will lead us to freedom in Christ or bondage to sinful's grasp on our heart. Because we see that the word that God specifically chose when he talks about sin crouching at the door, that his desire is for you. The only other way that we see the word desire this time in scripture is previously in Genesis chapter three, when God talks about Adam, well, Eve's desire for her husband. In other words, sin's desire for us is to be as intimate with us as God has designed us to be with our spouse. And paints a drastic picture of what sin's brokenness does. And as Bonhoeffer says here, why does Cain eventually murder Abel? Not simply because of hatred for Abel, but out of hatred for God. Cain's anger spurred from thinking he deserved something that wasn't given to him. In his own pride, he thought he deserved God's blessing. And because he didn't get God's blessing, that he decided to get rid of the problem instead of dealing with the problem inside of his heart and killed his brother out of hatred for God because he saw God not necessarily as what he wanted, but as a means to an end, not the end in itself. Much brokenness in our lives come when we don't get what we want. And so what Cain does, when he doesn't get what he wants, he decides to follow his heart instead of following the one who created his heart. Shane Pruitt says it this way in his book, Nine Common Lies, Christians Believe, were we created to follow our heart or to follow the one who created our heart? In other words, our feelings are a gift from God to worship him with. They're never meant to be our guide. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, that our heart is deceitful above all else. And I think about it this way. I have my eight-month-old daughter who loves to grab everything in sight. <laughs> Can I just say, just on the record, there's nothing faster than an infant's hand gathering something than anything else in the world. Can I, can I hit... Can someone testify with me? Can I hear an amen in here, right? This is the other day, I was just grabbing my food and next thing I know, within two seconds, the hand was like on my food. I'm like, that's my food. There's nothing faster than the infant's hand. She grabs whatever her heart desires. But I know as her father that not everything is good for her. As we found out this week, we went to the doctor and we finally got the blood test back. We found out that she has a severe nut allergy. And uh, in our house, we had to get rid of all nuts, all peanuts. And she has a dairy allergy. So like almond milk is out of the question, or out of the question like, and cow's milk. We're an oat milk family now. When I think about this, she's gonna grab anything she wants. But as my father, I know what is dangerous for her. So it is my duty as her father to teach her what is good for her and what is not good for her. 
and I show her the way. And I'm so grateful here at First Naples that I work alongside such wonderful people in the preschool ministry and the children's ministry and the middle school ministry and next gen ministry all together that I know my daughter's gonna grow up in a place where she's gonna know what is good because of the teachers that come alongside me as a parent, as I raise a disciple at the home, that they come alongside me and help me in that process. So the question is this, why are we pursuing God? One of the favorite books of the Bible, the book of Exodus, we see this in chapter 33. Moses was on Mount Sinai with God and God was upset with the people of Israel because they disobeyed God. <laughs> Surprised? And so God gives Moses a dream offer. He says, Moses, I'm gonna give you the promised land. I'm gonna give you all the success that you desire, the pleasures, pursuits, the possessions, everything that you as a people have been searching for, but there's only one catch. I will not go with you. In fact, God says it this way in chapter 33, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are stiff necked people. God gave Moses a dream offer. I'm going to give you everything that you wanted. And what did Moses say? Jumping down to verses 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, Moses says, God, you can keep all the success, all the pleasure, all these things that you're going to give if it comes without you. So the question we see in that passage and we see again here in Genesis chapter four is this. If God offered us everything you ever dreamed of, money, health, legacy, family, but not his presence in your life, would you take it? Because J.D. Greer said it this way, Moses saw God as beautiful, not just useful. Philosophers say it this way, when something is beautiful to you, you take pleasure in it without regard for its purpose. You just wanna be around that person because of that person. I am so grateful that when I met my wife, Katerina, that she knew I did not have a lot of money. I was living at home after college. And I knew at the moment when we started dating that she loved me not because of what I had, but because of who I was. Not because what I was able to give her necessarily, but because of my presence. And that's what Moses saw in God. And the question we had to ask ourselves, do we see God that way too? If tonight you had to choose, or this morning, everything without him and nothing with him, what would be your choice? Because pride gets in the way when we feel that we deserve something and we pursue God because of what he gives us, not necessarily because of who he is. And what happens? Cain chose wrongly. He was casted away from the land to the place of Nod, being farther removed from the presence of God in the garden. And while he was only worried about his own life, no remorse was given for his brother and what he has done. He was more worried about his own life. And what was interesting is God gave him a sign, put a 
mark on him. And we don't know what this mark is. One commentary said that he thought that this image, this mark they put on them was a dog that followed him, that scared people away. You know, not like a dog that we see walking down Fifth Avenue in a stroller, you know. <laughs> a big dog. <laughs> I don't think it wasn't a dog. <laughs> but whatever it was, all we know is this. Cain's life still belonged to God. He bore God's image, however disfigured the image was. That was God's mercy on display. Because God's design for our relationship with him is greater than our pride and our propagation of brokenness. And finally, we see this, the distinction of God's people. We see in the very end of this chapter, we see then God give us an illustration of what happens next between the two generations, between Cain's line and then ultimately Seth's line. And we see something very interesting. When Cain left, he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And we see what happens is there's others who are born, more families come and we see that they, this lineage is responsible for creating ways of worship, the lyre and the pipe, and new creative ways of, of doing music and culture. In fact, they even forged instruments of bronze and iron. They were cultivating a new culture and using the design that God has given them to create new things. But yet they were not remembered for these achievements, but they was overshadowed, overshadowed by their wicked accomplishments. We see that there is a propagation of wickedness despite the fruitfulness that comes out of Cain's life. What is born from sinfulness in our lives is often tolerated the next generation and then proclaimed in the next and celebrated later. Parents, how are we leading our students to Christ? How are we coming alongside those who have families and helping them see their sons and daughters come to know Christ to make Christ known in their lives? And we see on the flip side, we see Seth here and his line ultimately is the one that calls upon the name of the Lord. In other words, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we build with our hands, but who we proclaim with our lives. And before there was the Abrahamic covenant, before there was the Davidic covenant, before anything, the law was put into place, we see that God's people were known for this. They proclaimed the name of the Lord together. Well, their final thought for us this morning, for Naples to be one, church, we must be one. Let us be united in our purpose and calling on the name of the Lord together. While Cain's firstborn and successors pioneered cities and civilized arts, Seth's firstborn and successors pioneered worship. Let us be united at what we are called to do as a people of God gathered together in Naples, Florida in 2022 to call on the name of the Lord together. So let me close with this. In uh, the 1500s, there was a young artist uh, who painted a beautiful picture in a church in Milan, Italy. It was a 15 by 28 foot big picture on the wall and it was absolutely gorgeous. 
But because of the paint that the young artist used within 30 years and the humidity that was down in that area of the world, the picture started to chip and fade away. And by 1531, the picture was all but unrecognizable. A hundred years later, the uh, church decided, you know what, this is a good wall to uh, put a door. So they cut through the bottom of the picture to uh, put a doorway in, and then they realized, you know what, we don't like the door there, and so they built it back up. And then later in the 1790s, a French army moved into the same church and used the church as a prison, and the artwork was then used as a canvas for graffiti. Then they decided to try to, after they were out, try to cover the picture up with a curtain to protect it farther, but only what the curtain did was brush off more of the paint. And what was absolutely beautifully made in the 1500s was completely ruined by the 1800s. And then in 1978, another artist came in to restore the painting. And after 21 years of restoration, the painting was revealed to the public again. That painting was Leonardo da Vinci's the Last Supper. And you will see in the bottom of that picture, the doorway that once was cut through the painting. Church, I want to think about that this morning, this uh, picture here. All of us are made beautifully in the image of God. And another thing is, you know, we don't have to be murderers to walk in the way of Cain, we can just worship God wrongly, pursue him differently to be walking the way of Cain. And from some of us here, brokenness is more evident in some of us here or if you guys are watching online, and we may feel like this painting created beautifully in the image of God, but over time, the brokenness of the world has chipped away and we feel unrecognizable. But let me tell you this this morning. While God designed everything good and sin came alongside and broke that down, God is the great redeemer. God is the great designer. God is the great restorer. And he promised to make us new again through Christ. And one day in heaven where there'll be no more brokenness, we will live with him for all eternity. For those who call on the name of the Lord. That's all right, you can say amen, it's okay. So let me ask you this, every head bowed and eyes closed, I want us to think about this and ponder this in our thoughts tonight or this morning. How many of us here feel the weight of brokenness and need to hear these words that God is not done with you yet? We may walk in the way of Cain sometimes in our lives, But we know this, God's design is greater than our brokenness and he can redeem us to himself. God, we pray tonight, uh, this morning as we worship you one last time that you will instill in our hearts a deep passion to know you, to make you known. That while we may stray away from your design in our lives, that we can be assured that you are sitting there today with arms open wide, drawing us back to yourself. I pray for every person in this room here this morning or listening online, God, that you will pull on our hearts today. 
And this week, help us pursue you. Not because we want something from you, but because of who you are. And God, we pray that your grace and your love will shine on us and that the world will be different from Naples to the nation as we are a church gathered together proclaiming your name. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for moments like this. And we pray for wisdom and how to live for you today and this week, this month, this year. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.